0: Holy Hour of Power, the Terry and Jesse Show. This is UFC Catholicism, (laughs) Ultimate Faithful Catholics. This month, since 1693, has been dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. There is nothing else to
1: celebrate on this month. Terry, I'm reporting for duty. What about you, my friend? I'm reporting for duty, Jesse, and I'm just loving this. Wow. I am so uh, blown away by this week in preparation for the reparation march, what we're going to be doing, like, Uh, uh, This is just blowing me away because more people are coming to pray and be a witness uh, for the gospel. And I'm telling you, it's awesome. Hey, Jess, today's topic, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski from Tan Books. That's the publisher. Uh, You can get his book by going to uh, vmpr.org on the right-hand side. And anytime people buy the book, it's called Good Music, Sacred Music, and Silence, The Three Gifts of God for the Liturgy and Life. The way you worship is the way you believe. You're going to love this interview. Also, we've got our friends from Church Militant coming on to talk about the news. And Jesse, I want I want to just say this. This is really great news. I have in front of me a baby boy born at 23 weeks in gestation. In other words, this baby is in mama's womb for 23 weeks and weighing only one pound, and that baby's heading home to from the hospital because she, they, with technology right now, they're able to take care of these infants, you know, the pre- preemies, they call them. And what, what blows me away, Jesse, that 23-week-old baby in the mother's womb all over the world can be murdered through abortion. And here's one that shows that that's life. So anybody who says it's not life in the womb, they're wrong. Also, Jesse, I, call it, I consider this good news. Uh, the bishops' uh, conference uh, mentioned that all bishops are calling for prayer reparation across the United States. For blasphemies. Jesse, I don't remember the last time bishops called for prayers for blasphemy. We've had a lot of blasphemies going on in the last 50 years. So mm. maybe, maybe this is good. I, I mean, wow, of anti Catholic drag so called nuns. So they're stepping up and saying we need to pray. Again, our position is not only are we praying at home with Eucharistic adoration, but we're going out to Dodger Stadium. Those of us are, you know, I'm 30 minutes away. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't miss this for anything. We want to stand up for our faith. And I think, Jesse, when you hear what Cardinal Seurat says, the church is suffering, she is trampled on, and her enemies are within. Let us not abandon her. And I think that's what we're doing, Jesse. We're not abandoning the church. We're standing up for her with our life, our hearts, and our love for Jesus. Amen.
0: Tara, just want to invite everybody also tomorrow, Dr. Dan Schneider is going to give a presentation in the evening on... uh, Well, and actually tonight, uh, it's going to be tonight, June yeah, 14th. Wednesday. Yeah,
1: tonight. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, tonight he's going to be giving a talk on generational curses. He, Dr. Dan Schneider is going to be doing a deep dive. Yeah. He's, a, he's a Catholic deliverance and healing expert. He's going to explain how to break curses,
1: generational curses. That's tonight at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Terry, what time? It's going to be 7.30, my brother. And the men's conference... Uh, men's group is there. If you want to come early at 6.30, they're also praying prayers before the Blessed Sacrament and expiation and reparation. That's what we're all about here. It's prayer and action, Jess.
0: Yes. So if you want to catch a talk tonight on how to break curses, tonight 7.30, the Sacred Heart Chapel with Dr. Dan Schneider will be there. I also want to thank Catholic Vote, Terry. They're, oh, yeah. they're saturating the Internet, billboards, oh, trucks. Yes. Uh, God bless Catholic Vote. Uh, I, I want to thank them for for all the media yes. that they're putting out there, and and they're just spotlighting uh, this this evil that's being perpetrated by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence at Dodger Stadium. And they, I also want to thank all the other apostles, Terry, There's that are so just locking locking arms with us. us. Yeah. <clears throat> also, uh, a Doctor Eric Bumgartner who listens to the show, he has a uh, something critical to say about the Dodgers. Oh yeah. He says. I'm a thoracic and vascular surgeon working in L.A. (laughs) County. I was a Dodger fan. I met met Tommy Lasorda and worked in the hospital wing dedicated to him at Sentinel Hospital. Vin Scully died less than a year ago, and there's a YouTube video of him leading the rosary. What in the name of heaven is the Dodgers' leadership thinking? They're about to honor an anti-Catholic hate group. The cowardice of acknowledging the, he said, the fat bearded men in nun habits is beyond absurd and disgraceful. What are the Dodgers thinking? It reflects not only on the Dodgers, but Major League Baseball as a whole. And he says, so what are you promoting is not only unethical, Dodgers, not only sacrilegious, not only a hate-filled affront to Catholicism and Christianity in general, not only an insult to the family as a basic unit of society, but it's plain grotesque. Fat men and beards dressed up as women, as nuns with one of its members being a suitcase-stealing nuclear waste, Biden-appointed federal official. Do you realize what a lack of judgment the Major League Baseball and the Dodgers appear to have among the mainstay of baseball-loving Americana? Is this what the Dodgers and the Major League Baseball endorse? Endorse to impressionable youth? To my children and grandchildren? To your children and grandchildren? Where are your virtues, valor, and courage? Is it all about money? Then you lose in that category also because the silent majority won't accept this. As a surgeon and physician... I do see the writing on the wall. With increasing frequency and vocality, individual states and even nations are decrying with regret the destruction and transformation of normal human biology into something entirely different. The psychological damage, let alone physical, is incalculable. The medical profession knows in a very uncomfortable way that there will be a day of reckoning and not the too distant future when the folly of embracing such alternative lifestyles will be on full display." And corporations will be soundly condemned for their cowardly lack of virtue and common sense in doing nothing to oppose such aberrations. Please don't indoctrinate our children and our society with such garbage. We are increasingly living in a time when truth and reality are optional, fluid, even to the point of being unrecognizable. Let us remember Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the famous human rights activist who dissented from Soviet ideology and was exiled from communist Russia in 1974. The day before his exile, he made a plea to his compatriots, quote, "'Live not by lies,' close quote. The plea was simply to perform conscientious, objected to false ideologies, simply do not comply,' Catholics do not go along with lies and falsehoods. The very accusations that Solzhenitsyn leveled against the engineering of truth are now being increasingly embedded into a woke corporate culture, with which these institutions do to their own detriment in a manner of corporate
1: suicide. Sincerely, Dr. Fritz Bumgartner. And I might add, a friend of mine for 30 years, I'm Godparents to his children. This man has been fighting the fight inside as a doctor. Graduate of UCLA. Check this out, Jesse. He was teaching at UCLA the new doctors on, uh, you know, giving them the morals. What a great position to be in, that we should do no harm, like abortion. He was teaching them never do an abortion. The UCLA said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've changed our minds on that. We, we, We can't do that. And he said, really? That's what you taught me. And when I graduated in 1984, I'm not changing. They said, well, you got to get out. You can't be teaching our students because you won't compromise. <laughs> this is a guy who's inspired me to do so many good things because he fights the fight. As a matter of fact, Jesse, he's one of those doctors that wouldn't get the vaccine. Guess what? He's such a professional surgeon, one of the top surgeons in Southern California. Guess what? Archbishop Athanasius Snyder wrote him a letter telling him you're spot on. He gave that to the hospitals that he was working on and they said, Oh, okay, you're good. See, he's a guy that is willing to fight for the faith. And we need more men like that. Jesse.
0: Amen. I also want to thank Archbishop Gomez. He's celebrating Holy mass. Absolutely. 12, afternoon yep. at the cathedral of law of our lady of angels. I know a lot of people are going to join Archbishop Absolutely.
1: Gomez
0: at Holy mass. And then they're going to go out to Dodger stadium. Yep. Yeah uh terry uh i want to put a short little clip clip of rick monday oh,
1: i was there when that happened actually I oh you're kidding
0: okay yep. it's oh, the 30, sure. 30 second the uh, 30 second second clip yep terry tell what happened well, here? What
1: 1974 happened? here it is <clears throat> where we're watching a ball game and all of a sudden some dudes come out into the field and they and they got an american flag and they're trying to light it on fire let's see what happens
0: mr engineer can you play, play the clip, clip.
1: Monday runs and
2: takes it away from him. And so Monday, I think a guy was going to set fire to the American flag. Can you imagine that? Well, they better lose him in a hurry. And Monday, when he realized what he was going to do, raced over and took the flag away from him.
1: I loved it. We all cheered. Standing ovation. Let's great play. You know, it was awesome. That was something I'll never forget. As I, that was the year I went to the World Series to watch the Dodgers play the Oakland A's, 1974. And it's something that's burned into my heart. And I, I, again, it, he did the right thing. And this is what we need more and more of today, courage.
0: Terry, I just want to uh, just uh, thank Michael Hitchborn. He's been over there for today's the last day. He's over there at, at UC San Diego right. in front of the Association of United States Catholic Priests. Yep. These are a modernist priest. Uh, and they're being, uh, Michael Hichborn and fellow Catholics are doing prayers of reparation awesome. for the heresies that are being yes. taught on that stage. Yes. And so the, the Michael Hichborn has been there for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Today's the last day. I want to thank Michael Hichborn and all the Catholics that have been out there praying against the modernist cancer that's being promoted right now at UC San Diego, Terry.
1: And there's so much more to be talking about. We still got to get to the gospel when we come back from the break. Uh, We're going to talk about a great book from Dr. Peter Kwasniewski from Tan Books. Again, if you want to get his book, any Tan book, go to vmpr.org, click on it, and then they're going to give us a little bit of a commission back to support Virgin Most Powerful because we promote their books. Jesse, one more thought, and that is when we all, those who are going to Dodger Stadium, yes, we've got porta-potties out in the parking lot, but bring a chair because I'm bringing like 60 chairs, but there's thousands of people. We need people to remember to bring chairs because we can't sit for four hours. So that's one thought. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Peter Wesnicki uh, who published the book, The Can. The title, Good Music, Sacred Music, and Silence, Three Gifts of God for Liturgy and Life. What a great book. Remember this, the way you worship is the way you believe. Stay with us, family, here on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin with Powerful Mary.
0: friend, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. He's just written a new book. It's called Good Music, Sacred Music, and Silence, Three Gifts of God for Liturgy and Life. For those of you that have never read anything that he's written, I would consider him, people ask me say, Jess, what angle does Dr. Kwasniewski have? I say, what Carl Keating was 30 years ago to the Catholic Protestant apologetics, Dr. is is today uh, the theologian that we look to, to to explain to us all things pre-1965, to be honest with you. And he's just a gift to the church. All his books are a wealth of information. Dr. Krasniewski, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much, Jesse. Hey, uh, w- once again, you've, uh, you've written another groundbreaking book in, 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 uh, in the life of the, ca- the average Catholic because as Catholics, we all know we all have a sense, the census fidei, that that music plays not only a pivotal role in history, in American history, in all history, but it also plays a pivotal role in the Catholic faith. And so y- you say that this book that you wrote, Good Music, Sacred Music, and Silence, you said it's the fruit of decades of experience, study, and reflection. Can you kind of unpeel that? Can you tell us more about your background in music and how it led you to write this book in particular.
3: Yes, certainly. Um, music is a great passion of mine. It always has been ever since I was a small child. Um, my whole family is very musical. All my siblings, my parents, uh, my my oldest brother went into music professionally. So it's definitely something in the air, in the family. Um, but I certainly took it much further than anyone else in terms of Catholic, sacred music. Uh, I sang in many church choirs from, from the time I was a child, adolescent, young adult, really for, for decades now, I've never not been singing in a choir of some sort or another. Um, I learned composition and I began to write music at the end of high school, classical music, you could call it broadly speaking, um, mostly choral music for for the choirs that I was a part of. Uh, so I had experience as a singer, as a composer, as a conductor um, of, of various choirs. Uh, and then finally, when I ended up teaching as a professor at the university level i ended up teaching music classes music history appreciation theory um all this kind of stuff so it, there's there there's 30 years worth of, uh, of 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 thought reflection and study that went into this book uh, and so i really want to share that with my readers it's a book that i'm very proud of
1: you should be yes hey i got a question doc hey you make the pretty bold claim that many of us have said that much of today's popular music it's harmful for the soul. And I want to understand why you think so and demonstrate to us uh, how that is. And does anyone else think that? Like the Opus Angelorum, I know they think that. They have an article mm-hmm. on that same topic. So I think you're on to something. Tell us why you think it's harmful to the soul.
3: Yes. Okay, so the, I'm going to make this point first. Sure. And that is that very few people take music seriously as a moral force, as a personality and character shaping yeah. and destiny determining determining force. Mm-hmm. But it is in fact that because the music we listen to both, it both reflects our ideals, what we think of reality, mm-hmm. what we think is valuable, what's worthwhile. Uh, and it also shapes our desires and our expectations and our aspirations. You know, in a certain way, Music is is almost like the barometer that, or the or the thermometer that shows you, you know, where somebody is coming from, what their temperature is, you know, about say their attitude towards life, their attitude towards God, towards the universe, right? It's very important, and this has been seen throughout the whole Western tradition: Plato, Aristotle, you know, coming down, Augustine, Aquinas, Boethius. Um, in modern times, you know, Joseph Ratzinger, Joseph Pieper, uh, Nietzsche thought the same thing, even though he disagreed with us about so much. Um, And so really all the philosophers in the West have taken music and its moral formative power uh, very seriously. Now I I'll say this much. Um, I think that music that is uh, excessively passionate, that, that appeals to the lower passions, what we call the, the, the concupiscible and irascible appetites that stirs up lust or stirs up anger, uh, and there are genres of music that do this. Um, we all know it, yep. right? The, those, those sorts of genres, if you only heard them once in a while, they wouldn't have much of an effect on you. Just like if you eat poor quality fast food once in a while, it's probably not going to have much of an effect on your overall health. But if you consume this music day after day after day, it is going to have an effect on your moral character and on your intellectual life and your spiritual life, sure. too makes sense you know doctor it's uh, there's even some eastern thinkers that that
0: actually agree with us in the west as well confucius he he also said if you want to know the morality of a nation let me hear the music that was confucius so he's he's an eastern thinker that's not christian but he he gets it a- and uh, you even have modern uh enemies of truth that that realize the power of music uh, Anton LaVey, who the, the the satanic high priest who founded the Church of Satan, he actually said before he died, a few years before he died, he says, uh, he says, I will use uh, a pop culture, most especially through the manipulation of the human mind through music and propaganda in politics to subvert humanity. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is our arch enemy from the temp- the Church of Satan. But let me ask you another question. So some people may say well doctor kwizniski he's just anti music you know he doesn't like any mu- he's a <laughs> fuddy duddy okay he's, he's they're going to say he's a trad professor fuddy duddy that just wants to sit behind his piano all day or you know listen but but you just said right now that music has great benefits huge benefits so what is the definition of great music and what are these benefits
3: yes so, of course, no, i'm i'm a i i am a I love music. I love it so much mm-hmm. as an art form and as an influence on human life and as an embellishment of divine worship that I want everybody to listen to the best music, the music that's going to uplift their spirits, that's going to give them a broader horizon that will open up their souls, their imaginations to grandeur and majesty and glory, right? The best music can do all of that for us. Um, it can make our emotional life much, much bigger than it usually is, right? Pop culture in general, I would say this about all of pop culture, not just the musical aspects. It has a very narrow, deflated, depressing conception of human beings, right? Yes. It sees people as consumers, as hedonists, as egotists, you know, as just self-enclosed atoms or monads um, who are only looking out for quote unquote number one. And so it it has this very low, almost like a prison that you're, people are being put in a prison and they don't even realize it. And so I think that a good musical diet, and I'm talking here about music from all periods, including our own, we have great composers writing right now, writing beautiful music, symphonies and concertos and choral works. Um, especially in the Catholic sacred music realm. All you have to do is visit the Benedict XVI Institute um and their website, just to listen to some of this powerful, amazing modern music that it sounds modern. It doesn't sound like a Mozart rehash. Not that there's anything wrong with Mozart. He's wonderful. But I mean, the modern composers, they sound modern. They sound like our times, but they're still writing noble and beautiful music that can really, you know, elevate um, human beings. And so, What I would say really, though, is that we should all have a broader diet in the arts, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We should, you know, like, I I like to use this diet metaphor because I think it it resonates with everybody. We all understand what's meant. You know, you you shouldn't just eat you know, hamburgers all the time. And that's it. That's all you ever eat. You'll get unhealthy if you do that. You need to eat some vegetables and some fruits and some grains and, you know, and uh, whatever, you know, have a glass of wine. That's good for you. The French know that, right? Um, And so similarly with music, yeah, we should listen to classical music, but we should also listen to really good folk music. That's an authentic, human-scaled, you know, natural form. Every culture has great folk music. Um, you know, and I don't mean now the sort of commercialized rockified stuff that is sometimes passes as folk music like country music nowadays. No, that's that's awful. I'm talking about just bluegrass, for example, you know, like, like some really good bluegrass players. That's authentic American folk music. It comes from the people, from the folk. Uh, It's not mass produced. It's not commercialized. It's not electrified and amplified. It doesn't stupefy you with a constant beat, you know, and it's clever. It has clever lyrics about human life, you know, and this is so we can listen to all sorts of music. It should just be well-crafted, good music.
1: Peter, Mm. uh, Dr. Peter, we're going to take a quick break, but I just want to add, I have two questions, a two-part question. One is... When Arianism was going on in the 4th century, I was taught in in history that they used music to portray Arianism. In other words, it caught on with the music, and it was a very powerful means to bring out heresy. And I'm going to make the tie-in, and you correct me if I'm wrong. That is, songs that we sing today in the church, you know, that Jesus is in the bread and the wine, which is not true, but it's being sung. It seems the same effect is taking place. If we have poor music in our churches, it's forming our people just like it did back in the 4th century. Am I onto something?
3: Absolutely. Yes, music is catchy. It sticks in the memory. Um that's why we remember our ABCs as a child because we learn a little song that we and and that's how we remember 26 bits of disconnected information, right? <laughs> um and so with Arius, with Arius, yeah. they realized if we create hymns yeah. that everybody starts singing, then our then we'll, our doctrine will be transmitted painlessly. Right. Yes. And so that's what happens with modernism, with progressivism, with liberalism. Yeah. If you look at the hymns, you know, from OCP, Oregon Catholic Press, yes. or some of these other places, like Breaking Bread, I call it Breaking Heads. Exactly. Hymns. I'm glad you're um, saying You know. That. Thank you. That if you look at the hymns, they talk about environmentalism and feminism and and you know the cosmic Christ right, and all this garbage. Central. Yeah,
1: they're not. Um.
3: And that's how this message gets into people's heads. But I'd also say very briefly, if I may, yes, that. It's not just the lyrics but it's also the style of the music, right? Yeah. This sort of schmaltzy lounge chord music, you know, lounge lizard music I like to call it. Uh in churches it 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 basically inoculates people against the sacred, wow. against the transcendent, right? Well. And it it makes them it makes them impervious to the kind of of self Transcendence that is required for adoring Almighty God, right? For forgetting about yourself and your age and your cares, uh, as they say in the Byzantine liturgy. You know, now let us set aside all earthly cares, right? Yeah. The the pop the modern pop church music is all about earthly causes and earthly cares and earthly emotions, right? It has nothing to do with the liturgy.
1: Well said. Thank you for answering that question. Hey, get the book. Good yeah. Music, Sacred Music and Silence, Tanbooks.com, Tanbooks.com. And, ha- and if you go to our website to order it, Tan Books has been very gracious with giving us a little bit of a commission to help support Virgin Most Powerful. So please go to VMPR.org on the right hand side, click on Tan Books, and pick up the book. And again, with the title of it, Good Music, Sacred Music and Silence, Three Gifts of God for the Liturgy and life. When we come back, we've got some tough questions for the good doctor regarding the gory and chant and much more. Stay with us, family. As they say, we're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, we'd be billionaires. Stay with us, family.
0: We're back to Terry and Jesse show. We have Doctor Kwasniewski, Anything regarding the sacred liturgy? I go to him. Anything, really? Anything pre-1965, the tradition of the church. This is the go-to guy right here. This is a guy. He's like the Catholic answer man when it comes to everything traditional. And I'm glad that. Uh, and I'm glad that he's put, putting out one book after another, and he's helping out the body of Christ in a huge way, Terry.
1: And Jesse, I might add also. He's an expert on the documents of Vatican II on the liturgy. I've heard you speak. I've read articles on that also. You're very much on tune that says, hey, when are we going to implement you know, Antum Because it says that in the Vatican II documents. So there's much of what uh, was in Vatican II that never got implemented. And you've talked about that. But let's get back to your book, Jess. Yeah,
0: let me say. Uh, so obviously, Dr. Kwasnowski, you're a lover of Gregorian chant. And you say that it is the perfect and irreplaceable music for Holy Mass. So what's the big deal with this type of music? Why can't we just have, I don't know, life team music at every church?
3: <laughs> yes, why can't we? Well, I, for those who are listening to the earlier part of our interview, yes. they'll understand the problems with the sort of hyped up, super sensual um you know, a pop music style for, for church, because it's not conducive to prayer. It's not conducive to meditation. It's not conducive to the lifting of the heart to God, which is the definition of prayer, according to the fathers of the church. Um, what it, what it conduces to rather is it immerses us in our emotions, our feelings, our passions. Um, it makes us think about ourselves and, and our neighbors. It does not make us adore and supplicate God and be contrite for our sins uh, and and long for the kingdom of heaven. it doesn't do any of those things, so we don't want that kind of music. Amen. What we want is a kind of music that 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 helps us to pray, that carries us along in the liturgy, that calms our, our emotions and our feelings, that reassures us God is present here um, that puts us into a a frame of mind that is open to meditating on his word and on his truth and on his love, Um, and that basically um, in a certain sense, we need in the church a music that's like the aroma of incense, right? That instantly reminds us where we are and in whose presence we are, okay? Gregorian chant does this very, very effectively for many reasons. The first reason is it's exclusively for divine worship. When when anybody hears Gregorian chant, they think Catholic church, you know, (laughs) liturgy, monasteries, monks, you know, they, every, it has this such a strong amo- association that whenever Hollywood wants to depict a Catholic ceremony, they've always got some chant wafting in the background because they know about this powerful connection, exclusive connection. But if we, if we drill in a bit more, we can say that chant also, it's, it's almost always the words of God taken from scripture. That's the words of the chant in Latin. Um And it, it gives those words pride of place. In other words, it it delivers those words um, in a way that's that's that puts a focus on God's word, right And not on human words and and human interpretations. It kind of gives God's word the front and center stage. Um, and it's just one melody, right? So unlike complicated music with many voices, although that can be very beautiful, that makes it harder to follow the text. Chant is one voice, one line, yeah. and it's easier to follow uh, the prayer that's being sung. It's also kind of a free-floating sound because it doesn't have a strict rhythmic beat. It's it it sort of floats and undulates. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't put chant into a key uh, into a time signature. It's not in three-four time or four-four time. You can't tap your foot to it. It's not like a march or a dance or a waltz, right? Right.
1: right. It, it
3: it just floats along. And that's also great for meditating. It kind of gives you a sort of ethereal and otherworldly sense. Um, and there are other aspects about chant that I could talk about. But the point is it's it's unique and singular and and uh, induces meditation and, and, and adoration. And so these are the reasons why we want to use chant.
1: It's very vertical. It goes to God. Yes. Now, you mentioned the word prime of place. Vatican II's document also talks about Gregorian chant. Being a prime of place, what in the heck happened? I mean, I'm going to ask you: Are you are you saying that we should only have Gregorian chant in liturgy? But what has happened mm-hmm. to our church because we used to have Gregorian chant, and why isn't the document they are saying in Vatican II? We, we, it seems like we just disregard what it what the Fathers of Vatican II said about Gregorian chant. I if I if I'm wrong, correct me. But I don't. I go. Mm-hmm. I travel a lot to parishes. I don't hear Gregorian mm-hmm. chant too often.
3: Yes. So it's 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 kind of a disaster what happened after Vatican II. I mean, I don't need to tell you that. But specifically in the area of liturgy, yes. All of the bishops and abbots and religious superiors at Vatican II, yeah. over two thousand of them, yes. They were sold a bill of goods, but the wool was pulled over their eyes, right? They yeah. they 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 were told things are not going to change radically that everything's still going to be in mostly in latin yes. except in missionary territories right. uh where some more things could be in vernacular yes um they were told that chant should retain the chief place yes. is a more literal translation principum, principum locum in latin okay um and uh, you know other sorts of music like polyphony yes uh, can still can be admitted as long as it's con- you know coherent with the litur- liturgical um uh, act. And so they were told all of these things that were very reassuring, and they all signed off on Sacrosanctum yep. Concilium. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then within 10 years, everything was radically different. I went um, through
1: that. Yes, you're right. Yeah.
3: And, and if if you ask, well, why did the bishops go along with it? Well, what were they supposed to do? I mean, all of these bishops had in their heads the idea that you have to obey the Pope, yep. whatever he does, whatever he says. I think we're in a better place right now because a lot of people have the healthy sense of, no, if the Pope is asking for something that's completely uncatholic, then let's not do what he's saying. That's, that's, <laughs> it's wrong to do what he's saying. Yeah. If you know, We're not going to follow the lemmings off the cliff just right. because, one, you know, they're wearing miters. Okay. And so, so I, I think that we're smarter now and Pope Francis has helped in a way to, to, Kind of wean people from what I call hyper papalism, you know, this papal absolutism. Yeah. Um, But in any case, right after Vatican II, you know, everybody had this idea that that they have to do what the Pope says. Pope Paul VI said, you know, Latin is beautiful, Gregorian chant is beautiful, but it just doesn't reach modern man Hmm. anymore. Well, that's an absurd thing to say. I mean, the only churches right now that are flourishing and growing are the conservative and traditional ones. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know? a fact. So it's, it's, it's the opposite is true. Modern man is longing for the sacred and for the holy and for the transcendent and for the beautiful, right? We don't get it in our secular life. No. Our secular lives are rather dull and often ugly. The buildings we live in and work in and so on. We want something different from modernity and from secularism, right? Um, So, yeah. I mean, that's, thank
1: you. Thank you. That's what's going on. I've experienced yeah. everything you said.
3: Yes. <laughs> uh, Dr. Krasniewski,
0: so uh, are you saying that there should be only Gregorian
3: chant in the liturgy? All things... No. No? Okay. No, no. So, I mean, I, I agree with the Second Vatican Council that the reason chant should have chief place, yes. so it should, it should have the foremost place, mm-hmm. is because it's the music that grew up together with the Roman rite. It is the musical clothing of this rite. It belongs to it like body and soul. I mean, it really did. Historically, it's not like you had a liturgy that people were reciting for a while. And then someday, a, one fine day, a, a bright monk said, hey, let's invent some Gregorian chant. You know, no, it, the liturgy grew up being sung as Gregorian chant. Gregorian chant is nothing but the liturgy sung. And that's to its very roots to the beginning in the first millennium. So there never the idea now that we have of a liturgy that's simply spoken, That there, that, you know, everything the priest says is spoken. Everything we reply is spoken. That's an innovation in a way. That's a second millennium development. In the first millennium, all liturgies were sung. And how were they sung in the West? With. Gregorian chant, or some other similar type of chant. There were different sort of branches of chant. Gregorian is the, was the predominant one. They would, have, they would sound very similar to everybody, these different I, I, branches.
1: I want to yeah. jump in and ask this question. Father Fessio told me this, and I want to make sure it, sounded, it made sense to me. But a Jewish rabbi said Gregorian chant sounds similar to what the Jews sang with the Psalms. And there was a connection there. What do you know about that?
3: Yes, I talk about that in the book, actually, in the chapter on chant. I go into that in some detail. Okay. Exactly. I mean, Gregorian chant, as I said, didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of a confluence in ancient times of Jewish, Roman, and Greek music. So you have these three, basically, right? What do we say? Rome, uh, Jerusalem, Athens, and Rome. These famous three cities that represent three civilizations. Those three came together to form... The music that we know as Gregorian chant, so it definitely has a hebrew influence there's no no doubt about that. Just to answer the question you 've both asked me twice, and I still haven 't answered it no i 'm not saying it's only chant should be used, just that it should be the backbone of the of music it should have it should have the pride of place, but polyphony from the Renaissance, which came out of chant, uh, you know like Palestrina, Victoria, bird, Talus, these great, wonderful Renaissance composers who wrote the g- most glorious sacred music. That music developed out of chant. Every one of the lines that are sung by a soprano alto tenor or bass is is a chant-like line. So it's it's music that evolved out of chant. And it suits the liturgy very, very well, which is why Vatican II mentions it explicitly as a good choice. Um, So at a typical mass that I go to, say, a sung Latin mass, we will sing the proper chant, let's say, for the offertory of the mass. and then after that we'll sing a motet by one of these renaissance composers that is you know suitable in terms of the text and the style for what you know for what else is going on and and that that just works very beautifully hymns are also also have a place sure. um i think that they've been overused but to have a, a rousing opening hymn or a rousing closing hymn holy god we praise oh, thy name my which, which everybody has by heart knows by heart yeah that's fine, too. It just has to be
1: appropriate. Yes. You know? Now, I want people to get your book, Good Music, Sacred Music, and Silence, Three Gifts of God for the Liturgy and the Life. Go to vmpr.org. You'll see tan books on the right-hand corner. Click on that and get your get your copy of the book because this is something— I've been saying it for years, and the church has always said, the way you worship is the way you believe. Good worship, uh, you have uh, good theology, too, because— uh, our theology can stem from that hey we gotta run Doc any final words before we let you run
3: yes the only thing I would say is uh, the, the last part of the book is about silence ah. uh, so it, it talks about good music and uh, sacred music and
1: silence ah, and we'll have, to have
3: silence a, Terry tell
0: him we again, have him on again next week sa- yeah,
1: we gotta have yeah. you on again because yeah, we're gonna uh, have you on next week this is too important Okay. <laughs> <Yeah. Hey, laughs> we've got good. Uh, Church Milligan coming up next here yeah. on the uh, on uh, Terry and Jesse show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio stay with us family we'll be right back welcome back to the terry and jesse show to join the conversation call 888-526-2151 now here's terry and jesse
0: (laughs) we are back with our friends from church militant brad eli here to give us an update on church news politics and the culture of death
2: brad welcome to the terry and jesse show my friend Thank you very much. Always a privilege to be with you guys, real lawyers out there. Same, we same, have. Same, we have. A, I, first of all, I have to apologize. You're, you're generally used to Nick Wiley here. Yeah, he is down in San Diego. Good. Uh, kind of, kind of over in your guys' area over there. He's covering the uh, AUSCP, the uh, American uh, U- United States Catholic uh, priests, the U.S. Catholic priests over there, and. Uh, What's going on there is, is very important. It's, it's, supposed, it's billed as a um, listening session, synodal process, all that type of thing. Yeah. But you have these guys who are in the tank for, for gay marriage and homosexuality up the wazoo. Everything going on under the sun out there, um, ordaining women and all this type yep. of stuff. Well, San Diego, your boy, uh, Bishop McElroy, is, is out there hosting them. <laughs> Not right? my boy. Okay, right? Yeah. Not and, my boy either. <laughs> oh, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> now, uh, McElroy is is hosting these guys, and also I'd want to give a shout-out to uh, uh, Michael uh, Hichborn of La Ponte. Oh, yes. He's there with, yeah. with Nick. Okay, they're covering this event, giving good coverage out there. Yep. Yes. Uh, we'll have right up on it tomorrow. It's going on today. Good. And the thing is, these they're gonna come away from this listening synodal process, and they're gonna be petitioning the church to start ordaining gay men, having homosexual men who will go ahead and have hands laid on them Ugh. as if that wasn't the main wow. problem in the church for the last <laughs> fifty years. Yes, okay. Thanks. Uh, you know, the 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 they're they're in an echo chamber or something, you know, the site is just deafening out there. So the other thing they're going to talk to it, talk about is wanting the men who now identify, whether they did at the beginning or somehow along the process, yeah, uh, after they were macherized or whatever, that the, these men who identify as homosexual, they want them to come out and embrace that and be affirmed by that. You know, we saw a little bit of that over in Milwaukee, um, uh, Lashteki and that saying, well, you know, this priest is gay and I embrace him and all this type of stuff going on. And then we went into the whole summer of shame and and all of that kind of society. But they want that to happen, you know, the Father James Martin stuff on steroids. Uh, another thing that they want is to soften church teaching, as if we need that anymore. I mean, how much softer can you get after 50 <laughs> years? I'm, you know, I'm serious. Why don't you uh, really tell me what you think, Brett? I love it. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, anyway, you know, soften church teaching, contraception, mm-hmm. you know, lift up your conscience, which yep. is already they tried that. It just decimated the faith everywhere. Yep. And now not only the parishioner, but the priest too, he's involved in their sin when he goes ahead and condones right. sin. Well said. That, okay. Yep. So that I think is where a lot of the sexual perversions come into the priesthood because these guys were in the tank with contraception and they just got perverted themselves. So anyway, uh, no, they also want, you know, blessing same sex marriages and stop talking about homosexuality. Everybody's welcome. You receive the Eucharist and all that. McElroy is already out in front on all that stuff. So it's nothing new that he's hosting this group. Yep. Um, on to other things. Uh, Brad, let me ask you, a... Brad, let me ask you a question. Go, go so ahead.
0: That, uh, our side, uh, my, Lepanto, uh, Church Militants, uh, uh, you guys have been doing a three day reparation rosary, and Michael Chichborne has been giving talks there as well, right before the rosaries, correct?
2: Yes, yes. This has been going on for a few days. Um, they're going to have the final coverage tomorrow okay. with that. And it, it really is, I mean, pushing back the darkness with prayer. Uh, and, it, and it's wonderful. You know, you guys are doing this a lot. Uh, we're doing this and urging this. It's not just news reporting. Right. It's 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 energizing people, focusing them on where the problem. What do we need to pray about? What do we need to focus on? Understand the problems correctly so that we know how to beseech our Lord to bring His grace on target. Uh, you know, in this in the spiritual battle. So yes, they've been doing that. That's a wonderful point. Thank you for bringing that up. Yep. What do you have going, Brad? Other things are going on parallel now in Orlando. Yes. Uh, the bishops up. are meeting down there, as you know. They've been uh, there, I think it was yesterday they began. Mm-hmm. They are, one of the things I wanted to bring up is, mm-hmm. that we covered in headlines today, was that they wa- they're worried about the number of Hispanics in the church not having enough Hispanic presence in the church. Well, rightly so. I mean, the land of Our Lady Guadalupe and all this. Yeah. And this struck me as so ironic because we just have an, a massive influx of Hispanics, you would think that some of them would gravitate into the pews, right? Yeah. And they're saying that we just don't have enough Hispanic presence. And they are voting tomorrow on a 10-year plan. I could fix the problem in, you know, three three minutes. Get over there tell me. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, I, and I believe, I w- I want Jesse to weigh in on this, too, because uh, I, I remember Jesse talking about this problem and the solution, and I wanted to bring this up here. Sure. One of the main solutions, is, this is, I'm just, I'm just parroting Jesse here, is you have to make Catholicism manly again. Exactly. It has to be a masculine presence in the church. We have been so effeminate yep. for so long that we can't stand up for any truth whatsoever. And the hallmark of masculinity is actually a man sacrificing himself for the sake of defending the, the weak And if you don't see that Christ on the cross in all of that, uh, you know, that is the hallmark of Christianity. And that is absolutely, totally missing in our day and age when you can't offend anyone for any reason whatsoever. The biggest sin is not being nice in today's, uh, you know, uh, Church of Nice. Exactly. so yeah. if you want to win the Hispanics over, you know, stand up and be men again. Not only
1: the Hispanics, everyone.
2: Hispanics coming in yes. yes, true.
1: Everybody wants masculinity. They want to have men. Women are looking for men who are willing to sacrifice as the language of love. They want that. They don't want some. OK, I won't say.
0: And here's something else that's interesting. Huh, huh. When you look at, for example, uh, the, the the Latin mass, there's a lot of. There's a lot of rich sacrificial theology in the Mass. And exactly. not only that, just the way the, ma- the, the, the the Latin Mass is celebrated or offered, mm-hmm. it looks like an army general, the, the tip of the spear, the priest is facing God. You have everybody look, it looks like a wedge uh, that flanks out. The silence helps a man get in tune with God. As, right. as the psalmist says, uh, you know, uh, g- we encounter God in silence. It says it over and over again in the Psalms. When you go to mass and you hear folksy music and people are shaking their behind and popping their fingers and tapping their toes, the average man that's well-oriented says, this is, this is lame. This is effeminate. This is weak. Men want to go somewhere like the Muslims in silence. They want to pray and come in tune with God in their soul in silence. That's why Islam is bursting at the seams because the way they worship god is similar to the latin mass a lot of time on your knees a lot of introspection uh the imam does most of the praying and there's a lot of silence uh and uh, and and again there's there's not the the uh the triggering the agitating the passions with guitars and and with tambourines and happy clappy stuff islam wouldn't allow that and that's what's destroyed many men from coming back to church after 1965.
2: Oh, amen. I mean, you're on target with all of that. Uh, the fact that the, uh, you know, the, the Latin phrase, lex arande, lex credende, as you pray, so you believe. And then there's the third one, uh, lex vivende, so you live and that that those three you know as you pray so you believe and so you live so you put it into practice out there couldn't agree more when you uh wash out all of that and become just it's just a time for entertainment no longer god-centered but man-centered i mean you're losing the the game on all sides brad
1: there's one more element to this that i think jess and i discussed off the air and i think it's spot on where we talked about the clarity that muslims know their five points that they're all about it's real simple in the Catholic church, many people don't know what Catholics believe anymore. You're doing teachings with Michael Voris and others on the fundamentals of the faith so that they know what the church actually teaches. We're lacking that inside the church, clarity with charity.
2: Oh, absolutely. I, I was in the seminary for several years, uh, didn't get ordained, you know. But the, uh, the thing is, I remember very vividly having the thought yeah. On that very topic, can you not speak the truth, but do it patiently, kindly, charitable, and all this? And the answer basically was no. The truth is offensive. You can't bring up these truths because you're going to offend somebody. Terrible. So you have to just either ignore them, water them down, or, or walk away from them. Yeah. Um, but, but that being said, you know, we talked about McElroy yeah. and not doing really well. And we talked yeah. about the Orlando bishops, yeah. uh, you know, bishops in Orlando, not having the sense to solve the problem right. like tomorrow. Uh, but the bishops down in Orlando did do a good thing. We want to give a shout-out to that, and it's also something that sits close to home here. Of course. I'll uh, read a phrase here. The U.S. bishops are coming out uh, with an act of uh, inviting Catholics to make an act of reparation yep. on Friday, That's right. the Feast of the Sacred Heart. And this is a quote from their, from their meeting. On June 16th, the day of the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, a professional baseball team, here we're going to name the Dodgers, of course. has shockingly chosen to honor a group whose lewdness and vulgarity that's the sisters of perpetual indulgence are mocking our Lord, His Mother, and consecrated women, and they say in their their statement, "This cannot be overstated. Uh, it, it cannot be overstated that right. the vulgarity, the level of that. So good for them. I agree that they, that they are inviting Catholics, uh, all listeners out there, yep. uh, to go ahead and join in. Sure. Um, you know that uh, that that consecration and that and that prayer uh, to push back against the darkness because. Uh, I tell you, it's, it's it's getting dark out there, and we do need to start lighting some lights. Amen, brother. Well said, Brad, I want
0: to so, thank all you guys at Church Militant also for all the all the advertisement you've been giving us here in the West Coast. Uh, uh, you know, thank you guys the, very uh, much. Yeah.
2: Separation. Yeah, we're going to be running uh, we're going to be running air support for you guys uh, from the studio here at 5:30 on Friday. Uh, full coverage of everything going on out there, all the prayers, all the all the witnessing going on out there. <laughs> and uh, all the good that's happening out there. So uh, tune in, Church Militant. we got live coverage going on starting at 5.30 on Friday, Eastern awesome. time.
1: Brad, I want to thank you, and I just want to also mention we are going to be streaming this live for those who can't make it. There's probably going to be five to 10,000 people there, but all over the world, stay in tune with Church Militant. Continue to watch. If you want to see this, every talk that's going to be given, the prayers, it's going to be an amazing event. And I want to just say that, We are essentially doing this for the sacrileges that are going on, not only at Dodger Stadium. We offer up this prayer for the whole world because remember Our Lady said at Fatima that souls are going to hell because no one's there to pray and make sacrifices. So we all need to do more than just, in my opinion, say our prayers. That's important. But here in Southern California, you're here. Come on out and join us and make a witness for Christ. And Church Militant will be covering that. And, Brad, I want to thank you for all the work you're doing and all of the people at Church Militant. May God richly bless you. Brad, I'm going to ask Jesse a question, see if you know the answer. What state should you be living in, Brad?
0: Uh, ah, great. You got it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jesse. Right. Thanks, Brad. All right, brother. We'll see you. Thanks for sending on a camera crew out there on, on uh, yeah, Friday. Thanks a lot. Appreciate God bless yep. you. Jesse. Yeah, don't what, live in a state, our, of, yeah, in a state of mortal sin. Yeah, don't live in a state of mortal sin. Absolutely. Take your rosaries. Pray your rosary every day. Remember, we serve the Virgin Most Powerful, the 12 star general. Read your holy Bible every single day and unite your prayers to the sword of St. Michael. And let's continue delivering powerful blows to the kingdom of darkness and tear down
1: the gates of hell, Terry. It's a right two punch, right one with the left and a right. We're yes. praying and we're going to be physically out at Dodger Stadium. Join us. For that event, 3 o'clock we start, the Hour of Mercy. Please join us. May God richly bless you and your family.